Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, From Crisis to Connection. Each week on this podcast, my guests and I will give you and your loved ones resources and tools to heal from the crises of infidelity, pornography, abusive behaviors, and betrayal trauma. But we also talk about how to build and maintain healthy connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about sexual mindfulness. Now, you may be wondering what exactly this is. We've definitely talked about mindfulness on this podcast, and we've also talked about sexual intimacy. And so what does this mean to combine the two? Well, my guest today is Dr. Shalom Levitt, and she is a professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University, and she researches mindfulness and sex within committed relationships. And she's actually validated a sexual mindfulness curriculum as an effective way to increase emotional connection, sexual and relational satisfaction, and sexual functioning. So sexual mindfulness is a way to help couples feel closer together emotionally, actually improve sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction, and even sexual functioning inside the relationship. And so it has all kinds of tremendous benefits. And I'm really excited to share with you her research and her insights on not only what this is, but how to create it in your own relationship. And I'm joined with my wife as a co-host today, Jody, and just always just love having her on the podcast, especially for this topic. It's just such a great topic for couples to engage in, talk about, and really find out ways that they can slow down, be more present, and deepen their own sexual connection with each other. Especially when couples are working through healing a betrayal trying to overcome any sort of addictive or compulsive behaviors, slowing down, being more mindful will help you respond to triggers, respond to other anxieties and fears and mistrust. It'll just help conditions be so much more kind, gentle, safe. And whether you're working through those issues or just trying to deepen your connection to yourself and to your partner, everything that we're going to talk about today is going to help you and make a difference. So let's jump right in to our interview with Dr. Shalom Levitt. Well, Shalom, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here with us. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we're really excited. We love mindfulness. We love talking about this. And so to apply mm-hmm. it in, a, in an area where I don't know if a lot of people would naturally think that, that you know, sexuality and mindfulness go together, but I can't think of a better combination, actually. Yeah. Just in our journey. And so... I'd love for you just to talk to our audience here, first of all, about just defining what sexual mindfulness is. We've talked about mindfulness in past episodes, but can you describe the combination there, what you, how you see that? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you said um, it's not something that's intuitive to us necessarily, but once people like put those two together, it's like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because we know that one of the, well, the biggest enemy for arousal or for sexual pleasure is anxiety. And that's really what mindfulness kind of addresses. It's the antidote 
um, to anxiety. And so when I, I had been a sex researcher for some time, and when I was introduced to mindfulness, it just kind of clicked. And I was like, there's got to be research out there about mindfulness within a sexual context. And there wasn't. There were a few people who were looking at, Lori Brado was looking at if I have, you know, like a dispositional mindfulness, might that help my sexual outcomes? And they saw some, you know, some good correlations between those two. But so I created a measure where we actually examine how mindful someone is during a sexual experience, whether that's, you know, early in the arousal process or during sexual intercourse. And so we can actually measure how able we are to maintain the mindfulness of our general life in, in our sexual experiences. And what's interesting is it's much harder. You think about, you know, exposing your naked body and being quite vulnerable in this relationship where you're not only sharing your body, but you're sharing deeper emotions than you do in other contexts of, of your life. And so it's much more difficult to remain mindful during these intimate experiences of sexuality. So that's kind of in general what, what sexual mindfulness is. It's just as simple as how mindful can I remain in a sexual experience? So I may be very mindful as I walk along campus or as I'm eating my lunch or as I interact with other people, but I may lose that quality of mindfulness once I engage in sex. And so what we want to do is help people understand it's possible and there are some, some great strategies maintaining your mindfulness. Yeah. And I, and I think about just a lot of the messages we get culturally around sex as a performance, for example, especially for men. But I think even women, I think, feel pressure to be performing or to, be, to show up a certain way in the bedroom. And, and so even if you're mindful about your interactions with other people, or even, like you said, even how you eat your food or things like that, that could all go out the window really quickly when you enter this, this arena, if you will, where you feel like now you've got to be on. Yeah, exactly. And even if you just drive towards orgasm, right? If orgasm is the goal yeah. in your sexual experiences, and so you're thinking, okay, I've got to get my arousal to this point so that I can orgasm. Instead of just being present in this moment, what am I feeling right now? What are we sharing right now? What are my emotions right at this moment? It, once we lose sight of the moment, um, then we're in this performance mode like you're talking about. So is that really what's at the heart of mindfulness in a sexual experience is just this one moment? Yeah. I mean, really, that's the essence. But now accomplishing that is is pretty tricky, right? Because we are taught by our culture, you know, just by our own rumination to be critical of ourselves, of our body, of our performance, of, you know, every element of the sexual experience. And so it takes quite a bit of purposeful combating these ideas in a purposeful way to really be able to maintain this moment-to-moment awareness that's just curious, that's not judgmental, that is like, yeah, I wonder why, you know, I'm struggling to feel arousal right now, or I, I wonder why I have this response when my partner touches me this way. Non-judgmentally. Non-judgmentally. Right. That's, I know when, you know, as I started to study and learn more about mindfulness meditation and some of these practices, the curiosity, the non-judgment, just sort of letting 
like noticing, recognizing those things for me were very counterintuitive. And, and I felt, I don't, I noticed how reactive I became. And I, and I know in the bedroom, like that's, that's can be a very reactive place again, where maybe you're, you're in this dance and are you supposed to talk to each other or like the, you know, like all these scripts that you bring in from your life and child. And there's just so many places where you can become reactive. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, the word I really like kind of is the antidote to that is curiosity. Instead of being judgmental, mm-hmm. can I just be curious about why we're experiencing arousal or sex or emotionally? Why are we, you know, responding to each other the way we do? If I can be curious about that, it takes away the judgment and it kind of opens up this space for me to ask questions and and just think about things. So even as you're saying that, I'm having a hard time bridging from being able to be curious about that in the moment to being able to stay in a sexual experience. Because the minute I start to get curious and wonder about why or what's happening, then then I'm in my head. <laughs> so, so maybe you could talk some more about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think that it's going to take a little practice. And I think that, you know, like anybody who has a mindfulness practice knows that at times we go off on little tangents in our head and and we don't have to like criticize that. We can just recognize that for some reason, this tangent seems to be fairly important, if, especially if it keeps coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And they can know, well, maybe this is something that we can either pause the sexual experience, the sexual interaction and talk about this, or we can try and stay present in this moment and then talk about it afterward. But certainly, if things, if questions keep coming up in my mind, that's a little flag to me that that's important, right? And it may mm-hmm. need to address so that I can then kind of clear my mind when we are interacting physically and when we're, you know, having a, a sexual interaction. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, it did. I love that. Just yeah. kind of being open to maybe putting it aside and mm-hmm. addressing it later if it matters. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting when I've taught seminars all over and uh, I that point comes up often. And usually it is a woman who brings it up, right? Because our arousal yeah. is so fragile. And so a, a thought pops in our head and we kind of go down a rabbit hole and it may ruin the moment. So when I suggest that, you know what, maybe that's, maybe that's okay. And instead of criticizing ourselves for that, Maybe what we could do is say, hey, could we pause this experience for for just a second and let's address what my concern is here? And what I think that does is kind of honors our body. When our body brings some thought or recollection, you know, to our mind, we need to honor that. We need to realize, you know, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but we do want to kind of clear out what it is that's troubling us. And in a relationship, in a long-term relationship, we too often kind of tamp those things down until our body can tolerate it no longer, you know, and, and at some point it comes to the surface. And usually it's at a point where we're being intimate with each other, right? Where there's maybe enough safety in what we're sharing that we think, okay, I can resolve this maybe at this point. So if we give a little space and say, let's put this sexual experience on hold for just a minute, 
And let's resolve this issue that keeps plaguing me. What we might find is that we've cleared ourselves out so that we're, we're more present, we're more available to actually feel the arousal of sharing our body with our partner. What's interesting is women will also say, you know what, if I, put a, if I say, let's take a minute and talk about what has come to my mind, then it's over. You know, that, that moment, that sexual moment is over. And my response is, yeah, it may be that time, but probably next time your body will be even more in tune to arousal because you've honored these ideas, these thoughts that have come to your mind. Yeah, I love yeah. what you're saying about that. And that has been my experience, that mm -hmm. the more I'm willing to honor what my body brings up in the moment, the more my body and my mind together can trust the process. Yeah. And, and that, that as that happens, it's less frequent that it has to end the experience, but maybe it's just a little moment and that, but we can stay with it. The further I get along the path of just being willing to let my body air what it needs to air at the time it needs to that's right to air it and what's interesting is that's supported by research we know wow. and it's usually women who have this disconnect between our minds and our body most specifically our sexual arousal right and so when we can start to bring those in line with each other women's bodies respond better women have less sexual dysfunction um, if they're you know feeling like their emotions, their thoughts, their feelings are being honored within that arousal process. Oh, that's fantastic. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I know that, again, just from my own experience, like if in this case, if the woman is more often going to be bringing these things up, if the husband is not open or responsive or curious, then yeah, it will shut it down then and maybe for a while, right? Like it, right. it really, there has to be an open door. There has to be curiosity. And, I, and I've certainly done both. We right. all have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All do that. And it's kind of just this process of learning yeah. how to respond to each other, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what do you say to, in this case, where we're using very sort of specific, you know, male, female examples, what do you say to the men when their wife's, their wife's body is telling them something and she's going to take that risk and open up about that, you know, in the moment, in this sexual moment? What would you say to a guy to help him understand what's happening and what he can do to best facilitate that and help that become a good experience for everyone? Well, ideally, we hope that men, you know, respond in an open and accepting way. And it's like, yeah, I really want to hear what you have to say. You really have to view that kind of an experience, though. You have to view it as an investment, right? We may not have sex this time, but what we're doing is investing in our future sexual experiences because now she's going to feel much more connected, much more able to be vulnerable in this moment. And that's going to open up all sorts of desire and you know arousal capability. It's interesting because uh, some of my studies have shown that both women and men, but the effects were stronger for women, but both women and men who are sexually mindful, function better in sex, right? They're more able to have consistent orgasms. They report that sex is a more satisfying, connecting experience. But it's because they're willing to invest and slow down the process when it needs to be slowed down 
so that these emotions can be aired, right, and talked about, and, and not just worried about, are we feeling the physical pleasure we want to? Are we achieving orgasm? If you are only focused on orgasm, you're going to shortchange yourself. But if you invest, just like we've talked about, you're not only going to feel more connection, but you're also going to orgasm more consistently. I love that. I love that word investment mm-hmm. because it is, it is a long-term play. Yeah. And it's not about just this moment. And of course, the narrowing that happens when we're sexually aroused, you know, tricks us into believing that this is the only moment that matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and which is great. And that's one of the beautiful functions of sex is it can really kind of close out all the other things in life for the moment. But in terms of zooming back out into a bigger relational context and long-term context, I'm guessing it's a skill that can be learned. It's something that has to be practiced. It has to, there's a discipline to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it isn't as easy as we assume. In fact, we, you know, those of us who study mindfulness in, in the research world kind of would maybe stratify mindfulness as I can be mindful in my everyday life. And that's, that's kind of my foundational mindfulness. But then to be mindful as I interact with other people, we call that relational mindfulness. It's a little trickier because people push our buttons, we get distracted, you know, all sorts of reasons. So that's a little harder. And then to be mindful during sex, when we have heightened anxieties, far more criticism of our body, of maybe our partner, of every little, you know, detail of the experience, that's even more difficult. (laughs) It's asking a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of your PhD in mindfulness. And uh, so... (laughs) It's okay if it takes us a little while to get the hang of it. You know, that's it. It's going to take some practice. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And by a little while, I'm thinking years and years. <laughs> really? Yeah. Because, because yeah. The, the nature of the, a sexual relationship in, in a marriage is so fluid also, depending on the season and the stages that you're experiencing. And true. so there are layers of of things that affect that experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it, it reminds me of a, of a quote from Esther Perel. She said, you know, tell me the kind of lover you are, and I'll tell you the kind of person you are. And I think there's oh a lot my. to be said for that. Am I willing to invest in the long-term well-being of our relationship? Or am I just about this moment and my pleasure right now? Am I a generous lover? Am I thoughtful towards the other? Or am I more self-centered? You know, and so I think that's really what we're getting at. And it does take such an investment. And that's what's so beautiful about committed relationships that can that can afford to invest in it like that. Right? It's not just a one time, it's not a one night. It doesn't have to just be about me because it's not going to be a, a long-term relationship. Marriage allows us to really dig into who we are and really give in a way that we couldn't otherwise. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it keeps us coming back to try again and discover another layer and like you said practice and I mean I look at, you know, we've been married for 20 almost 26 years now and we're still discovering and talking and and uncovering these little nuances in our in our dance, both sexually and 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 relationally and other areas, and mm-hmm. and I just think, how could anyone who's been to, who's just together on a fling or a weekend ever expect to like 
kind of mine the depths of that. Like it's just, it's just totally impossible because there's thousands of interactions that create that. And I, I love the investment idea. I love the idea that like everybody slow down and recognize that you're building something really beautiful. That's just going to take a long time and it's okay. This one sexual experience is not worth throwing away the whole thing. That's right. It's not worth it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, sexual mindfulness, I think really gives us the meaning of what our intimacy is about it. It kind of frames it in this way that it is, you know, it's a lot about what might feel this moment. So I'm so curious as a researcher, you know, studying this, how do you understand what people are experiencing in these moments, men and women? Like, how do you, you know, how do you capture this? What, you know, what people are experiencing mindfully during sex? So it's, it's through survey. And then we also have done some qualitative, you know, interviewing. So when I, I ran an intervention, actually teaching people some of these skills of sexual mindfulness. And uh, we not only, you know, had them complete some surveys at, uh, you know, just after the intervention, but then three months later, and then six months later, but then we also interviewed them to kind of ask, what was their experience? You know, how did they notice change developing in their sexual interactions? Oh, I love that. And what'd you find? I mean, what, you know, in terms of what, what improvements, what benefits were you noticing for the couples that applied the, uh, the skills, the teachings that you guys were trying to transmit there? Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was all good. <laughs> it, <laughs> we, what we noticed was that people felt they reported more connection. They reported being able to communicate about sex more openly. They reported more satisfaction in the sexual experience, but also in their overall experience right? Because I think that sex always bleeds out into our general relationship. If things are going well in our sexual experience, most likely it's going well in our overall relationship. People also reported being able to orgasm more consistently. Women who were struggling a little bit to orgasm kind of increased their consistency. People kissed more often. There was, there was a lot more sexual behavior, touching and oral sex and, you know, vaginal penile sex. So all sorts of increases in the actual sexual behaviors, but also just a report of a higher quality of interaction during all of these interactions. All from just practicing mindfulness, slowing down, being curious, paying attention, having these conversations, privileging the internal experience. And kind of aligning that with what was showing up on the outside, so just really trying to get congruent. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the intervention, we, I think just opening up the conversation of sex for a couple goes a long way. Yeah. That a lot of couples, for whatever reason, we kind of feel a little awkward just talking about what it is we want and what we feel, what we experience. And so just opening up that conversation, I think, did some good. But then also teaching them kind of this quality of interacting with each other and giving permission to slow the experience down. In fact, to slow arousal down. We don't have to speed through arousal. If we can just stay present and notice, how do I feel when my partner touches me? How do I feel when we're embracing? You know, and really just kind of 
digest that and then talk about it with your partner. It seems to just open up a world of experience. Like we've been feeling this, but we've been rushing right through it. And now we're going to just fully submerge ourselves in it and talk with each other about, you know, I really like it when we connect in this way, or I really like this type of touch or conversation, or, you know, I like this pace, or I like that you suggested we try something new, you know, all of these things, or, or I don't like, right? It's not all about what we like. It can be, I have some real concerns or hesitations, or I feel insecure when, you know, we use this position or whatever it is for us to start opening up this conversation and really being much more intimate than just simply having sex. Mm-hmm. It's like permission. Yeah. Like you're really just giving them permission to slow it down and do it a different way, which maybe some people never even consider. Right. You know, because I think our culture is so opposite of that. You know, we're oh, yeah. fast sex and quickies and, you know, just all the vocabulary that we use around sex, that it's hot, that it's, you know, all of these things. When in reality, if we cool it down, you know, I'm using quotations, if we cool down sex so that we can actually savor each moment instead of just speeding right through it. We know that that, especially as men start experiencing erectile dysfunction, that so much of erectile dysfunction is happening in in their mind. We're feeling a lot of pressure to perform. And women Mm -hmm. are feeling that too, which is kind of what drives desire right you know, down into the ground. And we don't enjoy our sexual interactions when we feel a lot of pressure and anxiety. So instead, kind of slowing it down and saying, it doesn't even matter if we reach orgasm. What matters is that we're enjoying this moment with each other right now. Yeah, I'm thinking in some cases that could be a huge shift, just that alone, to think about it in terms of how can you and I together just enjoy this moment right now. Yeah, it seems to be because in our interviews, that's actually what a lot of couples commented on is this is so simple and yet it's kind of mind blowing. (laughs) Yes. Well, there's no models for it culturally. I don't think, you know, you're not going to sell a lot of movie tickets to watching a couple just sort of like (laughs) hold each other. (laughs) Unless they're in a rainstorm and they're, you know... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, that's where the real action is. That's where the magic is. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's where the bonding and the security and the joy. And it's not that they're like, you you know, this isn't an either or. It's not that there can't be moments of intensity. Right. But if every interaction is is gunning for that type of intensity, then like you said, then then there's going to be signals and cues that get missed that will build into resentments and disconnection. And it just really starts a cascade that's hard to stop. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It gives you a foundation for what it should be feeling like. And just because occasionally we have a quickie and, you know, maybe we have hot sex, that's great. But as long as we can come back and kind of touch on this solid foundational kind of, I think that that's what's going to provide this nourishment that couples are longing for in their sexual relationships. So you mentioned at the beginning there, according to the research, there are some very specific things that couples can do to create more of this. So can we talk about some of those? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them are just pretty basic, right? I mean, just holding each other and kind of, you know, just like you would do in a practice of mindfulness, breathing, right? Focusing on your breath, kind of getting centered yourself, and then noticing what that feels like to be centered with your partner. One activity that we start with is um, hugging to relax. And this actually, a number of different therapists have suggested this sort of activity, but just a little different twist on it that if you can hug each other for five minutes, you know, and that's actually a long time to stay in an embrace. If you can hug each other for five minutes and just be quiet, not talk during this time, and just notice how you feel being in proximity to your partner, right? Kind of get in tune with their breath, your breath, how you feel being close to them like that. What it does, at least what you know, couples report, is that it brings up a lot of emotion. And then after the five-minute hug, then you talk about it, right? Then that's when you describe what you observed during that time. I remember the first time my husband and I tried this. He's much, much taller than I am. He's about 14 inches taller than me. And I noticed like his weight kept kind of shifting onto me. And, um, and I would like rearrange and adjust. And uh, <laughs> that happened a number of times. And then afterward, when we were debriefing, I said, you know, I realized I was kind of irritated that you kept kind of leaning on me this way. What was interesting is that kind of uncovered a number of things that we really needed to talk about in our relationship. And uh, it was kind of food for conversation for the next few months. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Something that simple. Yeah. Right. Just by allowing things to come up, allowing yourself to just be present. Yeah. In a way, like the two of you together, uh -huh. like really addressing yeah. the connection or, or lack thereof or what's working or not working there. Yeah. And the beautiful part of like hugging to relax is that there might be a little arousal, right? So we might be a little distracted by being that close to our partner, but it's a pretty low level of arousal. So here's a good chance for us to practice being mindful in this low level of arousal and really allowing ourselves to open up, be present, be centered, describe what we're feeling and connect. Yeah, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Are there other things? I mean, you talk about it being very simple and this exercise is simple on its face, but clearly will get complicated <laughs> if you allow it to like bring up the things that are there to talk about, which. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of activities. Some of them I, I won't talk about here just because you really have to kind of dig into it, have a little more background before. Sure. Introduce it to couples. And then what we do in the intervention is we introduce some of these activities let them practice, let the couples practice for a week, you know, at home and then come back and we kind of debrief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. talk about how did it go? What were the, what were the hangups that maybe you experienced and how can we overcome that? Because anybody knows who's practiced mindfulness. It's very simple to describe, but it's kind of hard to do, mm -hmm. especially on a regular basis. Well, and I appreciated mm -hmm. you putting some levels on it because I remember the first time, you know, Jody ended up at Thomas McConkie's seven day silent meditation retreat 
thinking that it wasn't. I think you had very different expectations, and <laughs> I thought it was a workshop. <laughs> I, I love, I love Thomas. It was, so, it was life changing. Life changing. So it was phenomenal. You yeah. know, but but it, it changed her. She came back, and I oh. and I I was very aware of the fact that I needed to start learning how to do this at a deeper way, or we were going to be way out of sync with each other. Yeah. And, and so, but it was an individual practice, and so. You know, but I love how you were saying like, okay, yeah, individually it's hard to do it. And I, I was like, whoa, like this is not easy. I went to a one day with her and, and studied some more and practiced. And we, we kind of started our own individual practices at that point. But then, like you say, the next level of having to do this now with people and children and relationships. Yeah. Because I'm looking at Thomas's life and I'm like, well, yeah, he's like a monk. I mean, this is perfect. He just can, <laughs> right, sit in his his room by himself and get, you know. seems like it's pretty straightforward but then you start like you said these other levels and so for me it's i love hearing that from you because it's permission it's it's validation that we can be compassionate with ourselves and each other as we're learning how to do this in relationship and then especially you add the heightened vulnerability with sex which is like you said i mean you're you're naked and afraid as they said the tv shows right you're just yeah there's a lot of vulnerability there Mm -hmm. and it's it's very it's a very different way, but I, I love that we can work into that through all these different practices. Yeah. Well, I want to share an experience that I had after I, I did the, the week-long retreat. About six weeks later, there was a weekend retreat, and I really wanted Jeff to come with me and experience some of that mindfulness so that he could see a bit of what happened. And the theme of the weekend was unity and during, I don't know if you remember this, but during one of our afternoon sits, we were guided to choose a partner and face the partner and hold their hands and look into their eyes. And I I don't remember how long it was. I could not do it the whole time. And I was shocked to see like the person that supposedly I trust the most, that was a level of intimacy that was really, really new to me. And I appreciated the opportunity to see where I was at and how that affected us mm-hmm. because I had no idea. And I, I wanted something better. Yeah. yeah. I shared that particular exercise that we do that as well a little later in the workshop. And one thing that we learned the first time we did it was that we need to have lots of tissues available. Yeah. Boy, do you just feel so vulnerable and tender towards this partner that you love, you know, that you've you've shown yourself soft underbelly to <laughs> times, but for whatever reason, this brings it out at a really deep level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. But like you described earlier, it creates an opportunity for for learning and growth and connection together. Yeah, you know, we I'm writing a paper right now and we're talking about what are the mechanisms that are going on that actually bring about these changes. And you know, I think probably most people are aware that as you're mindful, you learn to regulate your emotions a little better. So that's one, right? And the other one that's really obvious is that we're more aware, right? We see more detail in ourselves, in our circumstances, in our relationship. So those are two really important mechanisms that are at play. But the one that's been fascinating me lately 
is that we have this ability to make a reappraisal of our experience. And this is where, you know, forgiveness comes in and gratitude comes in. And we see our partner, we see ourselves anew, but we see our partner anew. And it's kind of like we've seen this whole journey that's brought us to this place, to this moment in how we interact, you know, in this sexual experience or in general in our relationship. And we can reappraise, you know, what's going on. And someone made the comment that, you know, there's not a lot of point to mindfulness if all it does is help us regulate and be more aware that really the goal of mindfulness is this transformation of motivation or this insight into ourselves. And so really, as we slow down this process in sex and we're connecting with our partner at this deeper level, we are experiencing a lot of insights that we could not have experienced without slowing it down. Mm. Right. Right. Or just rush. Yeah. And just rushing through it or just trying to go through the motions or ignoring what our body's telling us, That's um, right. which I, you know, as sitting with people for 20 plus years as a therapist, I've, I've heard so many people just, you know, come in basically and just feel like they're just going through the motions or they're just, you know, just two warm bodies in the bedroom. Like it just, it's, there's so much sadness, so much loss. They know they're missing something, but they don't know what or how to get to it. And I think we know, we know that we're, we're living so beneath our privilege when we don't slow it down. And I love that there's words. We just haven't known that the slowing it down is what can, yeah. can bring the life back. That's right. That's if, right. If anything, people will maybe try and ramp up the intensity by trying to, you know, buy a, a copy of Cosmo or look up some. That's right. Right. We Let's just ramp it up. That's going to really rev up our sex life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. necessarily true. In fact, no. not true at all. There's yeah. a beautiful study done by a researcher up in Canada. Her name's Peggy Kleinplatz, and it's called Optimal Sexuality. And she interviews these people who have reported that not only do they have good sex, they have great sex. And so she interviewed all of them and said, okay, what is it? What are the elements of your relationship or your experience that's really consistently providing optimal sex for you? And surprisingly, the minor considerations were orgasm or chemistry or attraction. The major considerations were this ability to be vulnerable with each other, right? to feel this mm-hmm. transcendence, to have really deep communication. That's what's providing optimal sex. Right. And then the physical manifestation of that is just the icing on the cake. Yeah. Right. That's just a, a manifestation of that. And it's just, it just really heightens it. But it's, there's a foundation that you're describing that it's so cool how they interact with each other. The, the sexual vulnerability allows us to access that if we'll take it. And then that builds on itself and then it creates an upward cycle. I love that. We just barely did a study looking at different uh, groups of couples who were reporting on a bunch of different sexual and relational outcomes. And what we found is there's there's a, a pretty good sized group that they function physically really well. I mean, in that they're having consistent orgasm, but like you're saying, they're not feeling satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Just about the physical, the emotional, the connection, that deep intimacy isn't there. And so they actually feel like it's kind of lonely sex. Right. Mm. So they're right. orgasm. 
they're not enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. So we really have to look at what sorts of quality, you know, contributors make up great sex. Mm, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay, man, I want to have you back on for like 10 more podcasts. This is fantastic. Love, right? (laughs) Love talking to you about this stuff. So you had sent me some of the books that you've written and some of the other resources. And so I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so our, our listeners can access your work and right. people can stay connected to you on your website mm-hmm. as well. It looks like you post regular updates and podcast things. There's a lot of cool resources on your website. I just really loved it. Yeah, thank you. So, but thank you so much for the work you're doing. First of all, my goodness. Yeah. Just resonates so much with both of us. And I know with my audience, even though... So much of this audience are working through some type of a sexual betrayal or they're trying to find their way back to connection. I mean, this, what we're talking about is absolutely the answer when they feel safe enough to take those risks again, to come in very slowly and to not try and compete with pornography or compete with all the intensity, but to really slow down and tune into each other and take it super slow. This is perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. That all yes. sense, you know. Addiction is really a lack of connection. Totally. That people have to start building those connections. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, once again, thank you for your work. Thank you for making time for my audience here. And we'll, uh, I, hopefully we'll have you back sometime. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Dr. Shalom Levitt and the great work that she's doing on her website, shalomlevitt.com. She's also on Instagram and Facebook. And I'll put links to all of those, including her books, inside the show notes. Thank you, Shalom, for joining us on the podcast. So great to have you on here as a guest and just love your insights and your expertise in this area and just really giving couples better ways to do this. I just love it so much. And thank you all for listening. It's just great to have you here every single week. And I love connecting with you. So if you want to shoot me a direct message or a message off my website, you can find me at fromcrisistoconnection.com. I've also got online courses to help you rebuild trust, overcome pornography issues in marriage, and also past episodes of this podcast. I think we're at 130 episodes now and a weekly column and all kinds of other resources. And I'm super active on social media. So go follow me over there and let's connect. Let me know what you like, what you need. And I definitely want to be a resource for you and your loved ones. And as always, share what you are learning from this podcast with your loved ones and those around you. People are hurting out there and we want to make sure they get good information. So pass it along and hopefully you can bless someone's life. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Mm